folks brian bledsoe here with you once again on the desert farmer podcast and i am jacked tonight because we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today and i think a lot of stuff that you are going to be very interested in in terms of not only current weather but longer range weather going forward. I kind of teased this a little bit this past weekend when we had that big storm going through the Southern Plains uh, that delivered some significant moisture. Plainview, Texas picked up 14 inches of snow out of that deal. Uh, you know, fantastic moisture. Snow was heavy and wet. A lot of areas uh, farther east in the Red River Valley picked up some great moisture out of that deal. So a really good signal that came through to produce that storm. But uh, what we're going to be doing uh, over the next couple of weeks or so is relaxing the pattern. The MJO has basically fallen off. It's no longer a factor, at least for the time being. That's going to help our weather pattern relax a little bit. It's also going to help our pattern dry out and also warm up. So really, if you're, uh, if you're across the South Plains and the Southern Plains, listening to us here uh, in Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, the next couple of weeks are looking a lot drier than average. That not necessarily mean that we don't have anything coming through. It just means that we don't have anything giant in the pipeline that's likely going to deliver, at least nothing that I see right now. Okay, so drier than average and also warmer than average. There's going to be some early season warmth takeover uh, next week. Uh, that's going to be fairly significant. And I bring this up especially for anybody that has uh, dry land wheat out there, or really any type of wheat, to be honest, because we've had that good moisture uh, across eastern Colorado, all of Kansas, extending southward into the uh, panhandles of Oklahoma and Texas, and really across a large part of Oklahoma. And what that warmth is going to do is start to put that moisture really to work. Uh, I've seen some reports on Twitter, you know, over in Salina or over in Garden City, pushing its way southward, uh, where you had that good moisture and you're getting some good sunshine on that weed out there and it's already starting to green up a little bit and trying to take off. I think this next week or so... Uh, is going to go a long way into really uh, helping that wheat take off just simply because we haven't had a whole lot of cold weather. Uh, we've got good moisture and we're going to throw some warmth along with some of these, uh, obviously the days getting longer, that's going to help facilitate that. Now, that's all a good thing, all right? The thing that I worry about is that in many cases, El Nino winters are also backloaded. And by backloaded, things remain usually very active in March and April and even into early May. Now, because we haven't seen a whole lot of cold air come southward, uh, that kind of makes me worry a little bit that we could have some late season cold air make intrusions far enough south to where it could mess things up for us just a little bit. So I'm not saying that this is a done deal by any means, but I am suggesting that there could be some late season cold air come down uh, and it could interact with that wheat that is coming out of the dormancy and really starting to grow and it could be a problem for us. I think that is something that we have to monitor very closely. Now, I don't see anything like that happening in the near term. I'm thinking somewhere along the way, late in March and especially as we get into April, some of that stuff taking shape. If you look up to the north, we just haven't had a whole lot of winter either. Uh, across Montana, the Northern Plains, uh, or even in the Southern portions of Canada, excuse me, where we've largely been warmer than average uh, during the course of this winter. So there are no red flags that I see immediately showing up. The red flags that I'm looking at are historics, based largely on historics. 
Not to say that that one cold or two cold air masses coming down totally tips the scale toward a colder spring, but it definitely is something that we're going to have to monitor going forward. So I wanted to put that out there for you uh, this evening. The other thing that I'm watching very closely is the fading of our friend El Nino. Now, it's still out there. It's still with us. But it peaked back in late December and early January, and it has been fading ever since. Now, we still have plenty of warmer-than-average water out there across the central part of the Pacific Ocean, right along the equator and into the uh, eastern Pacific. Uh, but that water, uh, those water temperatures continue to cool, and I don't see that changing uh, going forward. There are two other areas that are very important that we're going to monitor. And one of those areas is uh, the area of water there in the ocean from the Baja uh, westward toward Hawaii. That area has been largely cooler than average uh, for almost the past year. When that water is cooler than average, it's called the negative phase of the Pacific Meridional Mode. Just a fancy way of saying that that particular oscillation is in a colder state right now. Now, to the north of that, across the North Pacific, there are also some cold pockets up in the Gulf of Alaska, uh, just off the Pacific Northwest as well, that also tend to favor uh, a reflection of the cold or the negative Pacific Decadal Oscillation. You might say, well, what what are all these things significant for? Bring it home for me here, okay? The significance of those two things, being negative or in a cold state, usually helps develop dryness or drought in the Western High Plains and in the Southern Plains, okay? Uh, And that could also continue even into the upper Midwest some years. So I think there are some things there to watch with those two pieces of the ocean uh, that are outside of the Enso region that behoove us to pay attention to. The El Nino stuff is going to go away. I'm not worried about El Nino lingering at all. Historically speaking, El Nino shows its way out this time of year, and especially as we head toward March and April, and I don't see that changing. The computer model information that I've been digesting uh, with the latest seasonal model information continues to show that. The Euro seasonal model is a little slower in that evolution. The NMME model is rapid and takes us to full La Nina mode as early as, say, June. I think that's a little bit fast. I think that's a little bit dramatic. But because the overall state of the Pacific Decadal Oscillation is in a cold or a negative phase, I think once this transition starts, it is going to uh, go pretty rapidly. Okay, so while the NMME might be a little bit fast and a little dramatic with the transition, I think it has the right idea. I think the Euro seasonal model has the right idea as well. Basically, we are seeing the El Nino decay, and the next phase is going to be La Nina coming back to us. And I know that that's not uh, something that a lot of us want to hear, but we've been talking about this here on the Desert Farmer podcast since last late summer and in the fall. Okay, so this should come as no surprise uh, that this is still on track for what it's going. So what does this transition typically mean, all right, in terms of uh, precipitation? Well, it usually means active, okay? When we transition from El Nino to La Nina and that transition takes place in the spring, it's usually active. Historically speaking, some notable years, Okay, as far as the analog years are concerned, those notable years, 1964, 66, 
1973, 77, 1983, 87, 1995, 98, 2003, 2007, 2010, 2016, and 2019. Those years all include a transition from El Nino to La Nina during the springtime. Historically speaking, from March through May when that happens, we usually don't have too much to worry about in terms of moisture. In fact, it's the exact opposite with wetter than average conditions across uh, the western part of Texas, half of Texas, most of Oklahoma, all of Kansas, all of Nebraska, and the eastern half of Colorado. Right up the midsection of the country is usually wetter than average during that time. And a couple of the years that are actually my favorites with this transition, 1973, 83, 95, 98, 2010, and 2016. All of those years favored a very cold and active trough of low pressure across the western half of the United States that would basically act as a storm generator, sending storms out of the west and into the midsection of the country that obviously created a lot wetter than average conditions. Again, those uh, that is for March through May. After we get past May, and look at those similar years, this is when the dryness starts to show up across eastern New Mexico, west Texas, a large part of Oklahoma, the western two-thirds of Kansas, uh, parts of eastern Colorado. Again, that would be June through August. So we're after the seasonal transition. We basically have seen El Nino get out of here. And now the transition to La Nina really starts to take hold during those times. And if we go even further and look at September through December of those years that I'd mentioned, well, you basically dry everything out in Texas, most of Oklahoma, the western third of Kansas, eastern Colorado, New Mexico. Again, the, the southern part of the country really starts to dry out. And that, that dryness extends even farther eastward uh, into the southeast part of the United States. The areas that are a little wetter than average during that time, parts of southeast Nebraska, northeast Kansas, northern Missouri, on up into parts of the western Corn Belt. But if you lump all of those months together and just go May through December, in those years that I'd mentioned, the strongest dry signals show up across New Mexico, West Texas, the eastern, uh, especially the north half and northeast Texas and in Oklahoma, Arkansas, and across the Gulf Coast, all right? And then the wetter than average stuff shows up, still lingers across the eastern third of Kansas, western parts of Missouri, and on up into Iowa. So that, that dry signal really starts to anchor itself south first and then spreads northward within these transition years. You're no stranger to this. This is usually how this rolls anyway, all right? The one thing that I am interested in, though, is with this transition, I am expecting a banger of a hurricane season in the Gulf of Mexico and across the Atlantic Basin. The signal is very present there, not only historically speaking during these transition years, but also uh, within the computer model information uh, that, that I'm digesting on a seasonal level. All right, so uh, those are some real significant things to, to pay attention to going forward. And if we look at um, the seasonal models, even going through that same time frame, the Euro seasonal model is active in March along the I-70 corridor northward. It's a little bit drier farther south, and that's why I'm a little bit more concerned across New Mexico, uh, most of Texas and Oklahoma during March. It gets a little bit more active for those areas in April, but West Texas, 
uh, I am uh, still concerned, especially with the dryness that is present across southeast New Mexico and southwest Texas right now. Keep in mind, El Nino really hasn't touched that area in terms of moisture frequency. Uh, really, once you get back to the southwest of, of Lubbock and Midland, Odessa, uh, those areas of southeast corner of New Mexico and southwest Texas have been real problematic as far as dryness lately. And then if we go uh, even beyond that into May, uh, that dry signal prevails across west, uh, southwest Texas and eastern New Mexico, uh, largely continues in July. While we might moisten things up quite a bit in southeast Texas due to the early hurricane uh, potential right there. But even as we go into August, the monsoonal flow coming up out of the southwest may largely favor uh, areas a little bit farther east. So a large part of Arizona, New Mexico, the Four Corners area might uh, get shut out or at least have a severely diminished monsoon this year. Uh, I think that's on the table, not only with the Euro seasonal model, but also uh, within the NMME model. The one consistent thing that I am seeing with this dryness, okay, or the potential for this dryness to develop, is that it has to get a foothold somewhere. And if I had to say where it's going to get a foothold initially, I would say southern and southeast New Mexico and southwest Texas, where it is dry right now. Once that gets anchored there, it will have no problem expanding northward once the seasonal change ends and the dog days of summer uh, really start to take hold. That's especially true if there's a monsoon failure or a severe reduction in the monsoon. All right, so those are the things that, that I think are very important going forward here that we have to analyze. So a couple of uh, just key points here that I want to drive home. This transition from El Nino to La Nina is likely. I think that's going to be a done deal, and that transition could be rapid once it really gets underway. Uh, a large part of the plains could have a, a wetter than average spring. How far southwest that wetness comes is really in question right now for the reason that I'd mentioned with the dryness that still exists across southeast New Mexico and southwest Texas. The bigger part of the equation that I have a question about is what happens with the summer moisture. And I'm not liking what I'm seeing right now um, the farther west you live because I think that the monsoon could have some problems uh, this year. For those reasons, I think it's very critical. This next 90 to 100 days is extremely critical in terms of moisture because I think we really have to capitalize on this, uh, what is likely going to be an active spring before La Nina takes over and that that signal goes away. So I think it's imperative that you have your your plan of attack really dialed in. Uh, there's uh, this transition could go literally from all to nothing in terms of moisture in a very short period of time. And if that happens and we get dryness anchored uh, in the Southwest High Plains, I, there will be some heat with this too. So I think it really behooves a lot of folks with their planning that you are very prepared to absorb a drier than average pattern during the back half of 24 and that could possibly continue into 25. I, I think when when La Nina really gets anchored, uh, typically speaking, the driest conditions that favor the western and the southern plains you really occur during the fall and the winter. All right. Uh, some of that stuff 
in the summertime is contingent on hurricane activity coming up out of the Gulf. So how far does that moisture make it to the west? Does it stay farther east? Well, I'll tell you right now, at least here in eastern Colorado, I do not bank on hurricane activity contributing to our moisture up here if it's in the Gulf of Mexico. Now, if it's off the Baja in the Pacific, we're in a much better spot for that tropical moisture to move up here in the monsoonal flow. But historically speaking, it takes a real special storm to have an impact on the western high plains if it comes up here out of the Gulf. Farther east, you go into eastern Kansas, uh, Missouri, Arkansas, eastern Oklahoma, east Texas. That's a completely different animal. All right, as that moisture uh, stays a little bit farther to the east. So those are kind of my four points here that I think really need to resonate with you guys and be actionable. I, I'm really stressing that fact. The material that I'm giving you, I want to be actionable for you. Are there going to be changes in this outlook? Of course, there always are. As we head through the seasonal change and go through this period of time, which is uh, more volatile, there will be change in this, uh, changes in this. And one giant storm that comes out in the spring could tip the scale completely in a different way. However, I'm looking at the, all the forensics that I have at my disposal right now, and that's the information that I wanted to share with you based on those forensics uh, at the present time. I know some of you have questions. If you if you like this information, if you like what you're hearing here on the Desert Farmer podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, or whatever you're uh, whatever you're listening to me on here, smash that like button, smash those stars if you like that. The more feedback I get, the more I can tailor this information to you uh, to fit your to fit your needs out there. That being said, I want to give a group shout out tonight. Uh, first and foremost. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to um, the Montana Stock Growers Association, uh, specifically Turk Stovall uh, with Yellowstone Feeders. Big shout out to you, Turk. Uh, thanks for all you do. I, I appreciate your fellowship and uh, definitely a, a big shout out to you guys. Also, um, another shout out today to the Colorado Livestock Association. I spoke yesterday at the uh, Marshall Fraser Beef Symposium in Hugo, Colorado. Great bunch of people. Probably the biggest crowd that I've seen at that uh, conference since I've been doing it. And I've been doing it for the past several years. So uh, big shout out to you guys. You put on a fantastic setting. Uh, always a great uh, to get out there and talk to you folks um, in the ranching community, the farming community in eastern Colorado. And uh, last but not least, um, the Texas and Southwest Cattle Raisers. Uh, big shout out to you guys as well. Um, I'm going to be delivering some weather information to you folks in Fort Worth in uh, the middle of March, back, uh, I believe, March 22nd. I will be kicking off opening session uh, with you folks down there. I am super excited. I always love getting down to Texas. I do the best I can to get down there as much as I can. I love the people. Uh, we always have big turnouts at the events. And this one with the Texas and Southwest Cattle Raisers is, uh, is my first time there. Uh, speaking to you folks. So I always love uh, getting to speak to a new audience, sharing some new information, and again, sharing information with you that I hope you deem as being actionable, whether it's on your farm or your ranch. Folks, I know this is a little bit longer than usual. I had a lot of stuff to get through, so I wanted to take my time and get through it for you. I hope you appreciate this information. I'll be chatting with you again soon, right here on the Desert Farmer Podcast. Be well.